everybody here this morning. How are we doing? Surviving? Doing all right? Fantastic. Man, the enthusiasm is it's awesome. Thanks, Marg. I'll take that. That's awesome. Oh, it seems that my topic is quite, is quite possibly relevant today then. I want to talk to you about when you have one of those days or one of those weeks. I don't know about you, but this last week I seem to have had three or four of them get together and kind of ambush me, and uh, that was a heap of fun. But you know what it's like when you have one of those days? When you, you wake up and, and as, you, as you get out of bed, your feet hit the floor and you get out of bed and suddenly you have the realisation that I felt this exact same way when I got into bed last night. Like I should be getting into bed, not getting out of bed. Like this is problematic, right? Like this is, it's a bit disturbing. So then you go and throw yourself in the shower and you crank the heat on just that little bit hotter, hoping that somehow it might just scald you into action, pump the blood a little bit more around your system. You drag yourself out, go into the kitchen. Of course, you, you try and make it look to your children like you're looking for something nutritious, but you're really just looking for caffeine in any of its myriad forms. Just trying, <laughs> some people, are, yeah. Okay, so and you get just trying to get yourself going, right? And then you get out onto the motorway. And, you know, and, and the problem is, is that I'm still, I've been lulled into a false sense of security by COVID. I still have this bit in my mind where I remember going out onto the motorways and, there, and it wasn't just a walking pace. It was like there were spaces in between cars and stuff, but that's not how it is now. And I still get out and I'm a little bit depressed when I hit the motorway. And so, you know, you get onto the on-ramp and, and you're trying to be a responsible driver. So at the first opportunity, you know, your indicator's on and you, there's a gap and you slide into the gap and then it's all good. And then, but then as you keep going at walking pace, you get to the very, very end of the merging, but where the on-ramp comes in. And at the very last minute, someone comes flying down that, slams on the brakes and indicates and wants to go in front of you. So what do you do? You just accelerate just a little bit more. Just close that gap up yeah. before you realize how childish you're being and then you, oh, and you break and yeah, you come on in. And, and then what they do is then they put their hazard lights on like, thank you. And thank you. And, and so then you, know, you finally get into work and then you're getting yourself into it, trying to just first thing, of course, cup of coffee or cup of tea, get through to the first break when you can get some food in your system and just try and get the calories up enough to stay vaguely conscious for the rest of the day. You get to like three o'clock, right? <clears throat> three o'clock and it's over. Like the fog has rolled in. You're in a daze, but you try not to let your employees or your colleagues know. So you're trying to look vaguely compass, mentis, but that ship has sailed. And you're just trying to desperately hold on to some semblance of professional etiquette until you can get to the end of the day. And then you, 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 you try and sneak away a little bit early, right? So you get on the motorway before the traffic builds and, and, and you hit that on-ramp and there's like nothing there and hope springs only to be crushed 500 metres later when you go around the corner and it's, it's all jammed up again. And, and you're back in a walking pace traffic and it's going on and on. And then suddenly you hear an ambulance coming behind you, like an ambulance coming, and it's coming in your lane. And so you see it early because you're a responsible citizen. And then you put your indicator on and you move your car out of the way and the ambulance comes forward and the car that was right in front of you refuses to move. Now this ambulance is sitting there and you're like, you're like, in, in those moments, I'm so glad I'm not God. Because if I was God, I would go, you sir, go straight to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200, problem solved. Thank you very much. 
But of course, we can't do that, right? We can't do that. But it's stressful, right? Then you get home from work and, and then it's like dinner and you're sitting around the table and you just, you just get so irritated about how irritated everyone else is. And then, and then, of course, you catch your wife's eye and then she makes it clear to you that the problem is not them. The problem is you. And so you kind of get through dinner and then it's like, then you realize I've actually got to get a bit more work done. And so then you, you open the computer and you do another hour or so work, of work quietly resenting your, work, your, your employer, resenting the fact that here you are on another evening having to do a little bit more work. And then if you're like me, you remember that, oh, that's right, I'm the boss. This is entirely self-inflicted. And, and, so, and, then, and then eventually you kind of close the laptop and you collapse in front of Netflix for an hour before you head off to bed and then you finally get into bed and then you lie there in a mild state of anxiety, just, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to drop off to sleep tonight and I really need some sleep. And somewhere about then, that's usually when I remember that I'm a Christian. And I seem to have lived an entire day without any reference to the God of the universe, the God who loves me and says he is for me and with me and working in all things on my behalf. What have I been doing? Now, I don't know if there's anyone else that ever has days like that. And if it's of any encouragement, I do have other days that Jesus is more prominent in. But there are days in life when I kind of forget. I forget that I'm a Christian, and that's ridiculous, right? Because the most pivotal moment of my whole life was in that gas station. All those years ago when I was 22, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, it literally changed everything. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. It changes how I spend my money. It changes the career decisions I made. It provided me the wife that I have and the children that I have and the life that I have and the job that I have and all of those things. I mean, it is absolutely the most important thing. He is the most important thing. And yet some days you wonder what happened. And I think it's great for us occasionally to stop and remember what it means to be a Christian again. What does it actually mean for me to be a Christian instead of just doing everything in my own strength and my own ability? You know, church is great. I love the fact that we come to church. Attending church is really important, right? And it's because attending church provides many things for us that are really helpful in our lives. For example, it's, and coming to church is a, it plays a big part in getting to know God, learning about him. We, we grow. We get a varied diet of events and input and teaching over a year, for example. Church is also great you know, coming to services because usually, regularly, we get some sort of challenge to be more holy, to be a little bit more like Jesus. We get confronted occasionally, and that's great because that's what discipleship is. Not only that, coming to church and attending a service is good because it keeps us orthodox. And by that, I mean it keeps us aligned with the tried and true core beliefs of Christianity that have been in existence for the last 2,000 years, and it stops us you know, heading off into the bush somewhere and starting a commune. It also provides leadership, clarity, direction. We, we achieve something. Uh, when we come together like this, uh, Pastor Steve asked me just this last week to get to him all of the things that we've achieved in missions just in the last year, all the projects we've signed off just in the last year. I mean, we've had COVID and all that kind of thing. You know, in just the last year, we've signed off, we've finally seen completed the building of a training center in Bangladesh, um, a training center for Christians in Sri Lanka. We've paid for and supplied an ECG machine and an ultrasound machine for a 
a rural medical clinic that's being built in Pakistan. We've also finished off the building of an extension of a school in Pakistan, which is specifically for kids that have been rescued from bondage slavery in Brickworks. We've we put down through our partners four wells in rural villages in Vietnam, provided 500 Bibles in local dialects to, to rural village Vietnamese pastors, provide innumerable amounts of food supplies for all sorts of people. We've kept the, the, the school, the Christian school open in Vietnam. And what's really cool now is that every two weeks, some of our pastors, Pastor Shane, Pastor Dan, Pastor Jade, other ones, they actually dial in from here and they speak into the um, the school assembly in Vietnam. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, the things that God does, I love church. It also provides a place for us to begin to make a difference. It opens doors for us to be in small groups. Attending church is important. But there are a few things that attending church alone doesn't provide. Firstly, it doesn't build friendships. Have you noticed that? Like, Coming to church and attending a service is great, but this is not where we build friendships. We've got a fantastic group of young adults in this church, and one of the things they do most Sundays after church is that they will head off down to a local cafe. Why? Because that is where they're building friendships. That is where they're getting to know each other. That is when they're talking about the issues of life and having fun and laughing and doing those sorts of things that are so integral, and that doesn't happen so well just when you attend a service. Something else that we, we don't really get just from attending services is we don't really learn how to hear from God just attending services. You know, hearing from God, that's something that happens more organically and in community. It's, it begins when you sit down and read the Bible yourself and, and, and God begins to speak to you through the Word. It's when you talk with maybe your spouse or other key people. And I think God's wanting us to do this. It's when you wrestle through decisions that, that maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging you on. Those, those sorts of things happen outside largely of attending services. And the third thing that attending a service doesn't really do for us is it doesn't really teach us how to minister to one another in the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That happens when we get together in smaller groups, wherever that might be, at the cafe or uh, in our homes or those kind of places. When, when, we, when we sit around and we talk about things and someone's facing something that's difficult and so we, come on, let's pray, and we gather around and we lay hands on and then the Lord starts to drop prophetic pictures into people's minds and, and, and lead us by words of knowledge and words of wisdom and, and those sorts of things happen in those sorts of environments. That's where we far more effectively learn how to minister. So I want to say attending church services I think is really important, but getting together in other places and other times seems to really matter too. So to explore this a little more, I just want to look at four scriptures quickly. Let me read these to you. Romans 16, verses 3 and 5, Paul speaking. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Colossians 4.15, Paul again. Give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. 1 Corinthians 16.19, Paul says, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. And then in Philemon 1 verse 2, to Philemon, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. 
Now, there's several interesting things we can get from these passages. The first one is that the church was meeting in various people's homes that helped delineate which parts of the church and which groupings they were in. That's, that's interesting. We, we learn a bit about the structure of the early church, the church at Priscilla and Aquila's house, the church at Archippus's and uh, Philemon's house, the church at Nymphus' house. That's important. What we also learn is that we, we get a glimpse of the kind of people who are qualified to lead those, those gatherings. What we're, the information we're told is we don't know uh, the training of any of these people. We don't know the skills and abilities of any of those people, except we do find out uh, in Romans that Priscilla and Aquila seem to do some teaching. We have no idea about Nympha and very little to know about Philemon. We don't know what their spiritual gifts are. We, we really know nothing about them except that they're able, they're qualified. And they're, they're the kind of people who can have a bunch of people around and good things happen. Now, that's important because that communicates to us that you don't have to have a certain level of training, you don't have to have certain skills and abilities, you don't even have to know your spiritual, your spiritual gifts, though it helps to, to have the church meet at your place, to have a bunch of believers come around you. You don't have to have any special qualifications. That is important, that is helpful. But here's the key thing I want us to get today. You see, there's some underlying information, an underlying premise that these things are built on and it's that there was a core habit of Christians, a core habit of the church, and it's this. It's that the church meets. Over and over again, wherever it turns up, the church meets. And can I suggest this morning that being a Christian uh, and doing it well means committing to making a priority of meeting with other people believers. Now, you know, we might say that, you know, to be a Christian, really what you've got to do is you've got to worship. And I think that's true. You know, worshiping is important. And if you talk to anyone on the band, they will say it's most important. We might say that to be a Christian means you've got to pray. Can't fault that. We've got to be able to have a conversational uh, relationship with God. We've got to talk to him about things. Or we might say, well, really to be a Christian, you've got to read your Bible. Once again, no argument here. Word of God is living and active. It's God-breathed. It's so much importance in reading the Bible. However, I think it's possibly even more important that we embrace the reality that being a church that meets is a core habit of those who follow Jesus. A Christian is someone who meets regularly with other Christians. Now, What's the difference between attending and meeting? Because I think there is a difference. You see, attending requires turning up, which is good. But meeting, that word has so much more built into it. Meeting requires personal interaction. Meeting requires engagement. Meeting requires a little give and take, a little face-to-face, even a little heart-to-heart. And that, ladies and gentlemen is what we need. And I want to ask us this morning, are we the church that just attends or are we the church that meets? You see, when we do meet, it's important, right, 
that those times are, are real, are organic, they make sense, that we know what we're doing in those times. And I think that sometimes for some of us, and certainly for me at various times, the thought of, well, if I do get a bunch of people and say, hey, come and hang out at my place on Wednesday night or whatever, it's like, well, what are we going to do? And how's that going to go? Now, if we go back and look at when the church first came together, we get some great suggestions, which I think probably are more than suggestions in there. Let me read this to you. Take a few moments. Break this down. Acts 2.42, you've heard it before. They devoted themselves, these early gatherings of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Give me, let me just break this down quickly. Firstly, if you're going to hang out, get a bunch of Christians around, whatever that looks like. And, you know, I think back to when I was first a Christian. Man, when I was first saved, honestly, I just, just couldn't wait to hang out with a bunch of Christians again. We, after lectures or whatever was going on, we would often meet back at someone's flat, pull out a guitar, do a song, just sit in the presence of God for just even 10 minutes. Stuff would happen in those times. I loved that stuff. And, and what we find is that there are certain things that, that are really helpful for us to do. One of them is the Bible, reading the Bible. Now, it's important to note that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, not an apostles' teaching. Don't, don't go around to someone's place and listen to just their highfalutin ideas. That might, they might be good, it might be great, but, but actually it's important to get back to the apostles' teaching to open the Word of God, to get into that a little bit. Sometimes we, we just want to control those things, right? And actually, sometimes we can trust the church. We can trust other believers a whole lot more. You know, the best small group I've ever run, listen, I've ever run, was when we had a bunch of um, friends come around. And um, some of them were relatively new believers. Some had been in the church for, like, forever. And we just said, hey, we're just going to go through this book, for example. Read this chapter this week. And when we get together, we'll just, just chat about it. Like, tell us what you got out of it, what you're understanding. We'll all share. And that's what we did. We would just sit around and people would share the revelations they got out of it and thoughts and insights. And, and we would just share together and learn off one another. The couple who were in that group had been Christians the longest. They came to me one night and they said, we just want to say to you, we have been in so many small groups over the year, years, but this is the best because we learn off each other. Second thing we need, and we should have in those times of hanging out, is fellowship. Fellowship. We forget how important it is just to hang out with other people. What is the definition of fellowship? It's a bunch of fellas in the same ship. All right? That, you get a bunch of people and put them together in a small boat, and all of a sudden, they've got to learn to get on in a whole different level, right? You're all sharing the same stresses and challenges. I remember we bought a wee Optimus sailing dinghy to teach the kids how to sail in. And I remember, like, taking that thing out. I'm sitting in the back. I was really good in an Optimus when I was 12. At 50, I just sink it. That's all I do. I sit in the back. My butt's too heavy. The corner goes down and water just comes in. When we're in, the, we're in that boat with the kids, the kids are like, we're having some honest conversations. Dad, you're too fat. Get out. <laughs> Fellowship. Fellowship is, is being real and having some conversations and having a few laughs and hanging out and talking about how amazing the blues are right now and, and talking about how terrible the warriors are right now and, and, and all those things. That is 
fellowship. You know, we forget how healing talking is. We forget how important laughter is. The Bible says that actually laughter does good like medicine. You need some medicine. Maybe we should try some laughter first. We might just get a whole lot more healing in our lives. I remember when we... When we were running uh, the student ministry in Dunedin, we said to all of our small group leaders, when you start a new group or when you start a new term, start this way. Make your first meeting 90% fellowship and 10% content. Then in your second week, make it 80% fellowship, 20% content, and keep doing that until you're 90% content and 10% fellowship. And then at the start of each term, go back to fellowship again. Because we need fellowship. We need to have friendship. We need to get on. It is so important. Thirdly, we need, uh, the Bible suggests food. Well, who am I to disagree with the Bible? (laughs) And I think we forget, right, that that communion back then was just part of a meal. I mean, the Last Supper, they were having supper. They were having a meal. And in the middle of it, Jesus broke some food and said, this is my body given for you, and, and, and took the cup and passed it around. For us, It's become something that we do separately, but actually food is important. I remember reading this book years ago of this phenomenal uh, Dutch couple who just kind of, you know, had this relationship with God and God would just bring people to their house. And what was so interesting about this couple is that when someone would arrive, no matter what the issue was, their first response was not first we will pray. Their response was first we will have coffee. And sitting around the kitchen table with coffee and maybe some food, taking time to fellowship, that's when the problems would come out. That's when we would get real with one another. That then enabled the prayer and those other things, right, to have real impact. Don't forget the importance of food. Look, if you, if you are a student in this place, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's nothing more good and glorious than being invited to someone's house. I mean, as a student, I'll be honest. My motivation wasn't entirely holy sometimes for attending groups. Just at my flat, flat with four boys, the food was appalling. We won't go into too many stories. The fourth one is prayer. We need to take some time to talk to God and some praying for one another. Not in any sort of religious, overly structured way, but like, you know, you're doing it tough, man. Come on, let's just pray for you. Let's just grab them, put them in the middle and just... Just start talking to God about it and allow the gifts of the Spirit to flow. I remember one time when, when I was a young fella in exactly that situation and this person was going through a tough time and we said, come on, let's just pray. And we pulled her in the middle and as we were praying, I, I began to get this like prophetic picture and I just couldn't shake it, but I had no idea what it meant. So I'm like, okay, guys, this is what I'm seeing. I think God's saying, I'm just seeing this picture. I don't know what it means. And as I finished Another person said, oh my gosh, I got this picture, but I don't know what it means. But it totally dovetails with what you're seeing. Let me, let me share what that is. And they shared that. And, and then a third person, this girl goes, oh my gosh, she says, I know exactly what the interpretation of that is. And she began to prophesy over this girl. And it was like, I mean, and this woman was blown away like it was God speaking into her world. And we were just all like, wow, this is seriously holy ground here. This is so cool. Like you have those experiences, right? When you get together and just go, hey, come on, let's pray. Hey, come on, let's pray. And remember, you decide each time what the priority is. One week, you may just find yourselves digging into the Word and going the whole time on reading the Bible. Another time, you might find someone turning up and they've just had a crisis and everything goes out the window and you just spend the rest of the night hanging out with them. Just talking, being with them. Let me say, that is good ministry. 
That is good ministry, especially if it's spirit-led. I'm telling you, sometimes in this church, more ministry happens out there in the cafe after the service than what happens in here during the service. Amen? Be spirit-led. You see, God's intent, God's intent is for us to be like Jesus together. So important we realize that. He doesn't just want us to be like Jesus. He wants us to be like Jesus and be like Jesus together. You see, Jesus chose 12 and made them live together for three years. He didn't choose one and make him into a celebrity. And, and getting on with each other is difficult, right? Because the problem is, when we start to get together with people, we find that there's things that we don't like about them. It's a bit disturbing. The truth is, every one of you here at some point will be irritated with me about something I do. That's just the truth. Don't nod. But if you do, this is when you need discipline. Like, you know, yeah, wow, this hits so true. Oh, so like, don't do that, right? Like, this is the moment to have self-discipline. But it's true, right? We're, none of us are perfect. All of us at some point are going to rub each other the wrong way. And that's the point because it's in that wrestle. It's in that mix that we actually learn to love each other and, and work out what it means to stand with one another. And, and we do those things. It's so important. You see, the devil's intent is just to isolate you. That's all he's got to do. Cut you off. It's all he's got to do is cut you off like a branch cut off from a vine that just withers and dies. It happens again and again and again. And some people make a habit of instead of pressing through their issues when they get in a group with someone and don't like someone, instead of working out what that really means and what's going on with them, they make it a habit of blaming and changing. Which is why in the book of Hebrews it says, you know, do not you know, make it a habit. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. This will be far, far smarter. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Do you realize that some people make it a habit to bail once it gets difficult? And yet, if we want to be like Jesus, don't bail. Can I say, let's lean in towards one another a little bit more. And let's find what Jesus wants us to find in that place, the church that meets. This idea of the devil trying to separate us is so important we realize that. I love the story I heard of a church, had a young, young minister come to it, quite an established church, and in that church it was an older couple and the wife died. The old man was distraught and the young pastor tried to kind of be there for him, but over a period of time the old man just isolated himself more and more until he just simply stopped coming to church. He wouldn't return the pastor's calls. There was nothing else he could do. And so one cold, rainy winter's day, the pastor just went round to his house, knocked on the door. The old man came, opened the door, and said, oh, it's you, and then just turned and went back down and sat in his chair by the coal fire that was burning there in the open hearth. Well, the minister, not to be deterred, came and took his jacket off, hung it up, closed the door, went over, and sat down in the other chair in front of the fire. And just sat there for a few moments, didn't say a thing, just looked in at the fire. Then the minister, he got up and he grabbed the poker out of the fire and he, and he rustled around and he moved one of the hot burning coals, moved it out from the fire and about kind of five or six centimeters away from the fire, hung the poker up and sat back down. Over the next few minutes, the burning coal, the flame went out, the beautiful orange glow began to fade 
And soon it was just another black bit of coal sitting there by itself. The minister let it sat for a minute or two, and then he got up and went and grabbed the poker off again and just kind of moved that coal right back up against the burning pile of coals again, hung up the poker and sat down. It took about 10 seconds before suddenly that coal began to glow and then burst into flame again. The minister sat there for a minute or two longer, got up, walked to the door, put on his coat, said, thanks for having me. Opened the door, went to get out, and the old man spoke. He said, Pastor, thanks for the sermon. I guess I'll see you on Sunday. You see, when we get separated, when we no longer meet, we lose our heat. Together, we burn so much brighter. Amen? You and I, we've got to be committed to being the church that meets. This morning, I want, to, I want to challenge you again to make it part of your habit, part of what it means for you to be a Christian, to find opportunities to regularly get with other Christians, to do some food and to do some fellowship. Maybe occasionally dig into what the Bible says. Take a moment. It just needs to be a moment but to have a conversation with your Heavenly Father in that moment and in that place. It makes all the difference. In whose house are you, the church that meets? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we see that the church is the church that meets. And God, I pray, God, for me. God, I don't want to be that that guy who's out there on the motorway, out there at work, living my days without any reference to you. God, I want to be like you, Jesus, more and more. God, and I know that every one of us here today, we want that as well. God, I pray that you will not leave us alone, Lord, until each of us have found a way to be the church that meets to reprioritize getting together with other believers in organic, real, fun, meaningful ways. God, we pray you will build your church and change the lives of people in this city through us. In Jesus' name, amen.